Welcome to the Every Voice Now podcast, where we bring voices of color into the spotlight. I'm Myla Kim. And I'm Ed Gilbreth. In every episode, you'll hear from authors of color about the making of their books, as well as the challenges they had to overcome along the way. Hey there, Helen Lee. Ed Gilbreth, always a pleasure. I am so glad to be co-hosting with you today. Me as well. And we've got another great guest to share with our listeners today. Yes, I was so delighted that we had a chance to speak with Chloe Sun, author of our book, Conspicuous in His Absence, Studies in the Song of Songs, and Esther, which is a fascinating read from our IVP academic line. And it examines a pretty deep question, which is, what are we to make of God in these two books of the Bible, which are very rarely studied together? And in both, God is not even mentioned. Chloe is examining some really intriguing questions. And she also has a very unique lens through which she's doing her scholarship as someone who is originally from China, who became a Christian here in the U.S., and who now teaches and specializes in biblical studies at Logos Evangelical Seminary in Los Angeles. Yeah, I really loved hearing about how she's so intentionally thought about her place and her voice in a field where there aren't many women present, not to mention women with her particular Asian cultural lens. And she had pretty good insights and suggestions about writing as well. So our listeners will have a chance to look forward to those tips too. Well, let's not delay any longer then. We hope you all enjoy this week's show. We are so excited today to welcome Chloe's son to the Every Voice Now podcast. Welcome, Chloe. Thank you for having me. Great to be here. Yes. Yes, it's so good to have you. Could you start us off by telling us a little bit about your your personal backstory, uh, where you were born and where you grew up? I was born in China and I grew up in Hong Kong. And then when I was a freshman, I came to the States for college and became a Christian here. And I now live in Los Angeles. So at first, I was an international student and gradually evolved into the so-called first-generation Chinese living in America. And I'm married to an Asian-American, Chinese-American. So I'm kind of in between different worlds. Chloe, when you came here for college, did you expect that you would stay here in the U.S.? No, no. I, I didn't plan to stay. It just happened that way during my sophomore year in college. I uh, started to receive the call um, to go into ministry. So right after college, I went to seminary. And the first course that I took at seminary was Hebrew. And I started to fall in love with Hebrew and then the Old Testament. And I prayed to God, like, what do you want me to do with my life? And gradually, I was sensing that teaching and forming future pastors would be my call. And so that's that's how I stayed. Was it challenging for you with anyone in your family that you became a Christian? Was there any tension there? Because it sounds like that was not something you expected when you first came. Right, to right. US. Yeah, that, that's a good question. Well, I am the first Christian in my family. And I first became a Christian. My parents were they were atheists and they were against it. And so it was really hard to communicate with them and make them understand what I'm going through and what Christianity is about. So I had a hard time to make my faith 
communicable to them, understandable to them. But gradually, my mom, sensing my persistence, she went to church herself, and later on, she became a Christian. And then I also shared the gospel with my brother. He he later became a Christian too, not because of me,、um, but I sold the seed. Of the gospel、uh, in his heart, and my dad, he's the main story. He was an atheist all his life、uh, because of his experience back in China. Her, his heart was very like hardened, like the Pharaoh. But then eventually, on his deathbed, it was my brother who led my dad to Christ before before he passed away. And so it went in full circle. I'm the first shared the gospel to my brother, and later on, my brother shared the gospel to my dad. So my whole family became Christian. Oh, that's amazing! I, I don't think yet we've had a guest on the podcast that has had that kind of evangelistic story where they are like the first in their family, and the whole the gospel has moved through their whole family like that. So that's really it's amazing. Yeah, it's powerful. It's amazing to hear. Yeah, God, God has done something. Great in my、yeah. family. Oh, that's I love that story. That's incredible. I'd love to hear your insights or just any observations on what it is like to be Chinese living in China or Hong Kong in a, in a less diverse setting versus being Chinese and living here in the U.S. Just anything that kind of comes to mind as being different or harder or easier about being Chinese descent here in the U.S. versus what you experience、mm-hmm. in China. Within the Chinese community, there is diversity as well, because Chinese itself, you know, from the Chinese from China, the Chinese from Hong Kong, the Chinese from Southeast Asia, they're all different. You know, they speak different languages, they have different cultures and politics. But then coming in the U.S., it's even broader. You know, widens this diversity, and I and I like to interact and meet people from different cultures and ethnicity and races because. Everyone reflects the image of God, and then when I look at them in the eye, you know, I see they, even though they don't look like me, or even talk like me, but they are beloved by God. And so, in that sense, I see the kingdom. You know, the kingdom is 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 diverse. It it shouldn't be just one ethnicity or one race. Yeah, and we see that beautiful picture, of course, throughout Scripture of. God being the God of all the nations. I wonder what it's like sometimes for people who come to the U.S. from different countries. What it feels like to experience all the different kinds of racial tensions you see in the U.S. Right? We have such a heritage and history that we're st- still trying to overcome. It-, it would be interesting to hear from your lens as someone who's come from a different cultural context. I do sense the racial tension in the U.S. And that's such a an ending topic throughout history, and the you know the tension between the white and and the black com,、uh, communities. I consider myself as someone living in the margin, at a dominant culture, and a lot of times invisible and hidden. And what I say doesn't matter, you know, to the mainstream. So that's how I felt living in the margin. And that comes to the writing. That's why it's so important to write and to publish and to have a voice, to speak to the center, and widen, widen the margin. I mean, and so that way the margin will not stay at the margin.、Uh, we have something to contribute to the center and change the narrative. 
I have a question, Chloe, mm-hmm. about just the more about writing in general. I'm curious, when did you first begin dreaming of becoming a writer or being a published author? So it was right after finishing up my dissertation. As I was writing the dissertation, I was in the momentum to write. So after finish writing my dissertation, I don't want to lose this writing momentum. So I talk to myself, you know, I need to keep writing. And writing becomes a part of me. Uh, so that was yeah, right after I finished my dissertation. As I first started writing, I wanted to be published. <laughs> so I don't write just for the sake of writing. I have the goal of being published, being out there that people can read and share the insights that I gained from my research or from my ref- reflection. What was that journey like on the road to being published? What kind of challenges did you face? It has been exciting, and but there, there are barriers uh, along the way. For example, mostly from the internal uh, barriers, such as the fear of rejection. You know, I think a lot of people fear that their book p- proposal will be rejected, and then that's caused a lot of shame, you know, internally. And then there is also the fear of just the fear of being out there. And then what if the colleagues or readers disagree with what I wrote or didn't like it? Um, So that's another barrier. Another one would be some people might take it too personally. Um, If they were rejected by the publisher, then that means the person, the, the author, were being rejected. So I would advise those who are trying to publish, don't be afraid of, and don't take it personally. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that is very, very good advice. I think that all writers everywhere around the world all struggle and can re- relate to that feeling and those fears of rejection. So that, that's good that you mm-hmm. named it. Another thing about the journey of publishing is that I'm sure you're familiar with Enneagram, right? Oh, yes. I know IVP has a series of books on Enneagram. Just a few, yes. <laughs> I don't know about you. Um, I'm number four, so I'm an individualist, but I have a strong wing of number three. And number three is an achiever. So I like to see the process of writing and come to the point of publishing, and that gives me a, a sense of joy and accomplishment. It's like I... I, I, I've done something, and and this book is such um, in such permanent form. It will outlive my life, and so that longing for longevity or even immortality. Yeah, leg- yeah. legacy. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's awesome. right. One thing about Enneagram fours is they love to be unique. I think right? it's one of the things that yes, that yes. drives you. And I I think of mm-hmm. of you. You're a female academic. You are of Chinese descent. You are teaching in this area of biblical studies. I don't know how many people like that exist here in the U.S. Uh, in that way. Not, not, yeah, me too. Same yeah. here. I don't know a lot of people who are like me. You're very, so you're very unique. You're very unique. Yes. Yes. <laughs> which, Thank yes, God. <laughs> which I mean, so that probably is something that, that your Enneagram 4 appreciates. So I'd love to just hear you even talk about that a little bit. Why is it important for someone who got his design like you to be represented in the academy, in the marketplace of ideas and books? Like, What are you, Chloe Sun, bringing to the conversation that no one else can bring, particularly in your 
particular sphere um, in the academy? That's a really good question. And that's a question I love to address and talk about it. I do read a lot of books and I and I find out there are a lot of books that are focused more on the academic side, the technical side, but then at the same time it lose they may tend to lose the soul, the spirit the spiritual aspect of it. And so for me, I like to blend in the academic research with spirituality or the and theological reflection. And I want my book to not just be intellectually or theologically sound, but also life-giving. I, I want people to feel something about God as they read my book and to have that longing for God, to know God more uh, as a result of reading my book. And also my ethnic uh, background. Um, as a Chinese woman, as a someone with a hybrid identity or as a perpetual foreigner, I tend to read the Bible differently from a, an angle that maybe not many people can see, such as the Song of Songs and Esther. There are two books in the Old Testament, but rarely people put the two books together because yes. they're so different. Right, right. One is a song, the other one is a narrative. But then they do share something in common, which is the absence of God. And so when I first see this and I wanted to write about it and also think about the absence of God is at the margin of biblical theology. People want to focus on the presence of God and his visibility and power, but not his absence or hiddenness or silence. And God's absence, hiddenness and silence parallels my journey as a Chinese woman living in America. And so how do I bring this marginal status into the center? I have to frame it in a bigger framework that is relevant to a wider audience. So I actually wrote the first two chapters at the end because the first two chapters framed the uh, Song of Songs and Esther into a bigger narrative of Old Testament theology. How do they fit in in this big narrative of Old Testament? And that way I can bring the margin into the center and then challenge the center to rethink about God's absence. Oh, I love that you're thinking in those ways of trying to bring the margins to the center. That's, that's exactly what we're all about here at Every Voice Now. Love how you weave together the personal and the academic there. I mean, that, that preaches, <laughs> as they say. <laughs> Thank you. Well, we need to take a quick break but when we return, Chloe will do a reading for us, and we'll talk more about the book writing process. So stay tuned, and thanks for listening to the Every Voice Now podcast. I'm Anna Mosley-Gissing, one of the editors at IVP Academic. For nearly 75 years, IVP has been publishing books that serve the academy, the church, and the world. It's really important that we publish authors of color in our academic line because we want the university and the church to learn from and to benefit from their voices, their perspectives, their scholarship. IVP Academic features scholars such as Esau McCauley, Nancy Wong Yoon, Robert Chow Romero, Felicia Song, and many, many others. 
Visit ivpacademic.com for more information on our academic books and authors, and keep listening to get a discount on today's featured book. Welcome back to the Every Voice Now podcast. I'm Helen Lee, and it's time for our Behind the Words segment, where we hear a reading from our guests, and we find out more about what went on behind the scenes of writing that portion. So, Chloe, why don't you tell us a little bit about what you're reading for us today, and then go right ahead and and read it for us. I'm going to read the first paragraph in the introduction, and then the last paragraph in the second page. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The cry of the psalmist reverberates deep into the heart of the human soul. In the journey of believers, divine forsakenness is a real experience. This religious experience presumes that God is there, but he refuses to act. Throughout human history, events such as war, natural disaster, genocide, pandemic, violence, and injustices of various kinds testify to the persistence of divine absence in human experiences. When suffering abounds, questions of divine absence arise. Out of the entire Hebrew and Christian canon, Song of Songs and Esther set themselves apart by leaving the name of God out of the text. This conspicuous absence of God's name becomes the incentive for writing this book. The goal for this book, then, is to examine, meditate, and reflect theologically on the Song of Songs and Esther in relation to the theology of absence, and inquire how these two books function in Old Testament theology. It attempts to address three main questions. One, what is the nature of God as revealed in texts without his name? Two, how do we think of God when he is perceived to be absent? And three, what should we do when God is silent or hidden? I feel like you're hitting at one of these core questions that every Christian on the planet struggles with, you know, at some point in time or another. Um, what do you do when you can't hear God? When What do you do when you feel like God is not present in a very real and tangible way, and you've just gone right there you know, to that very challenging yeah. question, which I think is very courageous. <laughs> How did it sort of affect your own personal journey? How did it, you know, writing this sort of open up some new insights about God and your relationship with him? Personally, you know, I, I have to admit I experienced God's absence from time to time. And at those times, actually, they draw me closer to God in a sense that absence makes the uh, the heart fonder. You know, I have to seek Him even more earnestly. Um, and so, writing this book is a spiritual journey for me too. It, it helps me to see God in a more um, mysterious way, and it broadens my own perspective about who God is. So um, actually, at the end of this book, I mentioned that uh, even though the book ends here, but for those who seek to find God in their own lives, the path to comprehend the intricacies of the dynamic between God's presence and absence will go on. 
So it's an ongoing journey of knowing God and seeking God, especially in His absence. Mm, mm. One of the things we were talking about in the earlier segment was the uniqueness of your position as someone as uh, who was a female Chinese academic and writing in this area of biblical studies. And so I'd love to talk about that even a little bit more about how you feel like your your unique cultural heritage, your unique lens that you're bringing to this field of biblical studies, how might that be different and distinct than what we see in the center? And what in what way has God used your unique cultural background and heritage to bring new insights into this area? Sure. Great question. Thank you. So first of all, as I mentioned earlier, in the Western scholarship, I've never seen, oh, actually, rare, rarely seen people bring these two books together. But because I'm trying to think outside of the box, I, I, I you know, brought Song of Songs and Esther together. That's one way. And another thing is that usually the technical side, the academic side, and the spiritual side, the soft side, they usually don't mix together. And I try to mix those together. Um, and that reflects who I am as a person, as an academic, and as someone who cares about spirituality. And then the marginal side, the two books, um, Song of Sons and Esther, they're not like Genesis or Deuteronomy or Isaiah. They're not like those big dominant books or Exodus. They're like smaller books, um, more feminine. Um, and that reflects like smaller feminine <laughs> me. <laughs> and trying to um, find my place yeah. in the in the bigger world, the Old Testament theology. You studied studied under John Golden Gay, I believe, right? He was, I yes. believe, your mm -hmm. advisor. And I would love to hear a little bit even about his response to your scholarship. Were there ways that your experiences, your unique cultural lens kind of opened his eyes in some areas of understanding these books that was new to him? Yeah, when I first mentioned about this book idea to him, I mentioned that the Song of Songs... This is how I see it, and I see it as both uh, in the literal sense and also in the figurative sense. But his perspective is he he only sees it in the literal sense, meaning Song of Songs is a reflection of the love between a man and a woman, not anything else. That's it. And so my book kind of broaden or give a different perspective that this book can be read uh, in a figurative sense as well. And so that challenges, I guess, his thinking. And he's actually, uh, Golden Gate is actually one of my endorsers in the book. And he mentioned the word margin and center. And so um, he's saying that I'm at the margin, but I'm not losing the center. So I'm kind of bringing the two together. And he congratulates me when the book is out. Good. I love it. Well, I love that you are someone who is expanding people's understanding of these particular books and expanding what is thought of as the center. You are bringing in perspectives that show that we have a lot more to do and to grow in our understanding of these kinds of narratives and stories so that we can uh, become just more attuned to the fact that there are a lot of perspectives and a lot of angles mm -hmm. and a lot of lenses by which we can study yeah. these no, well-known right. books of scripture. So we need more people like you. We need you and more people 
like you and more diversity to be able to have yes. more angles. Every voice counts. Every voice, Every voice matters. Every voice matters. I love it. <laughs> That might be another podcast. Every voice matters. There you go. (laughs) Well, we need to take another quick break. But when we return, we're going to continue our conversation with Chloe's son. And we're going to find out more about her personal writing habits, maybe some quirks if she has them. And we'll find out how to get a special discount on Chloe's book, Conspicuous in His Absence. So stay tuned. And thanks for listening to the Every Voice Now podcast. The world keeps changing at a dizzying pace. How can you stay current and discover biblical truths to meet today's challenges? Introducing Seminary Now, a new online, on-demand streaming service where you can learn from gifted teachers such as Brenda Salter McNeil. The world as God intended is a multicultural, multilingual, multi-ethnic, and multinational place. James Chung. What is the gospel? Is it just about where you go when you die? Esau McCulley. When we look at the injustice in the world, we're going to address the perennial issue of slavery. And we're going to talk about the ways in which the Bible was misused to justify the oppression of black and brown people. And there are so many more great teachers to learn from. Get a 20% discount off your subscription by using the code EVN2020 at seminarynow.com. That's EVN2020 at seminarynow.com. The world keeps changing. Don't stop learning. You're listening to the Every Voice Now podcast. I'm Ed Gilbreth. Today, we've been talking with Chloe Sun, author of the book Conspicuous in His Absence, Studies in the Song of Songs and Esther. And keep listening to find out how you can get a special 40% discount on Chloe's book at ivypress.com. But first, let's find out a little more about your writing habits and quirks, Chloe. What were the habits or disciplines that helped you stay on task to write your book? Part of my personality is I'm an achiever, so I like to reward myself when I achieve something. Uh, One way I do is using stickers to reward myself, like going to Sunday school with no children. So after I finish a chapter or a milestone in my research or writing, I put a sticker on my calendar. And then when I see the calendar full of stickers, it's just really happy and rewarding. That sounds like what I used to do with my kids whenever they would practice their instrument, or we'd always have a wall with a bunch of star stickers. And that was really motivating for some of them. So it sounds very similar to what you're Yeah, and all my stickers have a smiley face. So happy face, happy face. Um, that's one, one way. And I usually make a schedule um, every semester. Um, Depends on my teaching and administration. I make a schedule to write. And if I don't write or don't progress in my writing, I feel something's missing. I'm, something's not right. And what is the best piece of advice that you've uh, ever received about writing? Let me show you a book. It's by IVP. <laughs> <laughs> write better. This book is just marvelous. Um, There's so many writing tips, like how to start and end a chapter well, you know, and um, the plot and just everything. Uh, I would recommend this book. Write Better by Andrew T. LePoe. Yes, Andy LePoe was our longtime editorial director. He just retired a few years ago, but he's still connected to us in a number of ways. He will appreciate that that shout out. And we'll make sure we, we link to that 
in the show notes. Yeah, I'm so glad to know that that's been a, a good resource for you. Chloe, can you remember any particular moment as you were writing and working on this book where just something meaningful happened, something memorable happened, uh, either positive or, or negative, whatever sticks in your mind as being a moment that you cannot forget um, as you were working on this particular book? I struggled a lot when I wrote the part on the temple in Esther, just because I find there are a lot of parallel languages between the description of the palace in Esther and then the description with the description with the the temple in Exodus or the tabernacle in Exodus. So I tried to connect both and wondering if this is the right way to to um, to write my chapter. So I have a lot of uh, struggles and doubt if this is the right thinking. And so at the end, I just used the word imagine, you know, when I when I read similarities between these two texts, the similar descriptions between the temple imagery and the Persian palace imagery, I use my imagination to connect to the original reader. The Jewish people who are familiar with the temple, they might have thought about God's presence or absence when they read the description of the Persian palace. So I use the word imagine. So I guess writing is not just about the solid evidence, but also about some imagination. Is academic writing more of a solitary kind of exercise than other kinds of writing you've done? Is there, is there something that's either more or less difficult about academic writing, you feel, from the different kinds of writing you've done? I think it's both because you, you based your research on your readings. It's also helpful to talk to colleagues and scholars about your ideas, whether they can fly. When I first brought this idea to another colleague or more senior colleague from another school, he questioned whether I can put these two books together in one book. And his rationale was that, you know, the, the tendency to put two different books together in one book is to flatten their differences. And so that advice has been very helpful as I wrote this book. I, I tried to keep that in mind as I wrote, and not to flatten their differences, you know, as some of Sons and Esther, but also bring out their differences as well. They share something similar, but they also, they're also different genre and different, they have different ideas about what they want to uh, portray. Are there other people who you would say you either look up to or try to emulate when it comes to the area of writing or even academic writing, either one? May I ask, um, if, is it a sin if I mention white scholars, white male? <laughs> because I'm trained in the and yes, white male context. It is not a, it is not a sin. <laughs> it's not a sin? It's a sin? Okay. <laughs> They will be very, very honored, I'm sure. <laughs> okay, I'll mention two then. Um, one is Walter Brueggemann from Colombia. He tackles a lot on the hiddenness of God. The people of God should protest, protest against it. And so his writings and his writings on Old Testament theology um, shaped my thinking and reflection on God a lot. And another one would be Trempe Laman III. He's actually one of my 
uh, dissertation advisors, and I like his writings. It's both theologically sound, but also down to earth, like easy to understand. He he doesn't use a lot of academic jargon to confuse people. So I'll just mention two、yeah. for now. I am sure that you will become like a person that people talk about and mention as someone who's really inspired them or who they try to emulate. So I think of you as kind of a groundbreaker, and so、oh, yeah, thank you. Yeah, well, as we head to the end of our time together, I would love to hear what advice you might have for other other academics who might think of themselves or see themselves as being on the margins, like we've been discussing today,、mm-hmm. and maybe what advice do you have? For them, as they seek to pursue writing and academic scholarship. Well, first of all, we have to look at ourselves, who we are, as a person, as someone who are made by God, who are wired、uh, by God, and then we have to know ourselves、uh, and what know our voice and what we can contribute to the academia and to the church,、uh, and then we have to. Be courageous enough to put ourselves out there. You know, make sure you have a voice, and then, and then put that voice out there, and then don't give up on publishing and writing. Just keep, just keep trying. That's wonderful. Well, Chloe, we've come to the end of our time, but before we go, we want to give you an opportunity to share with our listeners about any special projects you have going on right now, and how people can best reach you too. Okay, I love this question. I always love people ask me, "What are you working on?" <laughs> Because I'm always working on something. Okay, <laughs> right now I'm writing on a commentary on the Book of Exodus. It's in the series of Asia Bible Commentary. So I'm writing from the perspective of Chinese diaspora, and how you can reach me? I have a website,、uh, ChloeSunPhD.com. Wonderful, thank you, Chloe, and it has been great to have you on the show today. Yeah, enjoy our conversations. Great to be here. And now we want to share with you all that you can find Chloe's book, Conspicuous in His Absence, at IvyPress.com, and if you use the code EVN40, you can get 40% off and free U.S. shipping. So visit the IVP site today to get a great deal on Chloe's book. Thanks, everyone, for listening to the Every Voice Now podcast, brought to you by IVP. Our producer is Helen Lee, and our sound engineer is Jonathan Clausen. If you are enjoying our show, please share about it with your friends. We'd be grateful for your reviews and recommendations on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. And we'd love to hear from you directly anytime. You can find us on Instagram and Twitter at Every Voice Now, or you can email us with your comments, questions, or suggestions at evn at ivpress dot com. And join us next time for another inspiring episode of Every Voice Now. <laughs>